And the adventure has begun, huh? It is truly an adventure. And an adventure means that it's an unknown experience. So I often use the example of going on vacation. If you go somewhere where you're going to rest, that's not an adventure vacation. A resting vacation is perfectly fine, but an adventure vacation is that it's an adventure. And it's measured somewhat differently because it's the, it's the unknown and dealing with the unknown, it's the adventure of it that's the reward, not that you're supposed to come back with a tan or you're supposed to come back rested or to have seen certain sights. It's going into the unknown. And so it is with this practice for most of us, there's uh, often an unknown element aspect to it. So tonight, I'd like to invite you to join me in exploring concentration in its many dimensions. I titled the talk tonight, Samadhi, both as a practice and a result. So the goal is to have more clarity by the end of this evening as to what it is we are referring to when we talk about this collecting and unifying the mind, and this resulting samadhi, this resulting concentrated state of mind, this resulting capacity of mind that develops. We can think of it as concentration practice is developing an essential skillful means for practice. It's essential. Not optional, it's essential. It does not necessarily have to be at a certain level, but we all require, we all need a certain uh, ability to concentrate the mind, to collect and unify the mind, to do our Vipassana practice. It's, it's just the way it is. So it's, it's essential in that way. It's an essential skillful means. This, this, so we're developing the skillful means and during this 10-day period, we also repeatedly experience the result of that skillful means. And that is for a very brief period of time or a somewhat longer period of time or quite a, an extended period of time, the mind is somewhat concentrated, uh, fairly significantly concentrated or very concentrated. So we are practicing and resulting at the same time in this way. We also want to be able to envision this resulting capacity beyond what we may have known it. So that there's some sense of, oh, I'm headed in this direction. There's a, there's a kind of felt sense for it. It's like uh, learning a foreign language. That you, 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 um, you start to get a feel for it long before you can speak it. And the same with uh, learning to play a musical instrument. You get some feel for the musical instrument when it's still defeating you but you, you learn to give yourself over to it. And in giving yourself over to it, you start to be able to play that instrument. So let's start with um, a kind of Western culture analysis of this word concentration. And we'll see how closely it ties in with the Buddhist teaching about samadhi. So as a practice, one definition of, I'm going to do five different definitions, but what I would call a practice definition, although the dictionary doesn't make this distinction, 
the dictionary says, bring to a common center. So it's the act of, the doing of, the practicing of bringing to a common center. This common center is this uh, a collecting. What is the opposite of collecting? Is dispersing, scattering. So we're collecting. We're bringing to a common center. It's an act. And we know we're doing it. And we, we choose to do it. And we know that we know we're doing it. And we know that we've chosen to do it. It may not be going well right now. That's not our business necessarily. Things don't go the way we want a lot in life. But practice is just practice. So how well it's going in any given moment is not the measure of practice. The measure of practice, am I practicing or not? That's the measure of practice. Have I got in clarity of intention? And, and then am I showing up for it? Using what skills I have available in this moment under these conditions. So this first aspect of the definition of practice is bringing to a common center. The second definition, which also has a practice uh, feeling to it, is directing the attention of the mental faculty to a single object. Directing the attention of the mental faculty to a single object. Our single object is the breath. We are repeatedly directing our attention to the breath. In the course of the next few days, it may turn out that we will switch objects for some of you as we go into these practice discussion meetings for one reason or another. But for now, we're asking everybody to uh, start with uh, working with the breath and so we can see how that goes. So what is the opposite of directing to a single object? Is not bothering to direct at all. Or directing to all sorts of objects, which would be something we might do in Vipassana. But here we're directing to a single object for a uh, desired result. And again, it's not so much that we get to a certain specific result as we keep the orientation going. That's what will bring the skillful means. Just like playing the scales on the piano or doing the language lab and learning a, a language. We intend, we have the clear goal of having the mind become unified with the object. Here's the breath, here's this capacity of attention. We intend for it to rest on this object. This felt sense of this, the felt sense, just rest on the object. Maybe really scattered, maybe not so scattered, we don't know, but we're over and over again, over and over. And as Sally said, starting where we are, we always start where we are. So we're sleepy mind. I was sleepy mind this morning at one point in, the, in one of the sits. We start where we are. We practice with sleepy mind. Oh, it's restless mind. We're not, in this practice, investigating restless mind. We just practice with restless mind. So restless mind has to return to the objects a lot. Sleepy mind has a hard time getting to the object at any time. So just keep practicing. Can you start to feel the ease, the spaciousness in this kind of an orientation? The third definition is an increasing strength or purity 
Purity of what? The purity of the attention, the purity of the mind's relationship to that single object. Now we're into results. So as we collect the mind, as we unify the mind, the mind starts to have more of a sense of purity, a strength. That strength means that it is resting in, it is stable around this experience of the breath. As the mind becomes stable in this manner, there's all sorts of, of sense of well-being, of pleasure, of contentment that comes from the mind being stable because the mind really likes to be stable. It gets ever more content as the mind is stable. It's just a quality of mind. Why is it this way? We could speculate about it, but why bother? It is this way. We're practicing learning how to do this. We can, at home, sit and uh, be philosophers about such things. For our purposes, we are having the mind strengthen, becoming more pure in its relationship with a single object. But in the mindfulness practice, the same capacity that we've developed becomes, as the Venerable Ajahn Sumedho describes it, the, the one point that includes everything. So here we're one-pointed on the breath. So we're going in. There's a kind of narrowing. But once that capacity is established, we can then turn it broad. And it doesn't waver. It's got that same stability. It can collect and unify around any object. So useful, not just in terms of insight, but useful in terms of our daily life and not causing harm with our thoughts, words, and actions. So there's this, there's this process of coming to a common center, the collecting, there's the directing of the attention to a single object, the unifying, there's increasing the purity or the steadiness of this. And then the fourth definition from the dictionary is to render less dilutable. That means that the mind becomes uh, more able to stay cohesive. It doesn't, it doesn't get thrown off in the same way. It, it is, it's able to stay with the breath. So someone next to you suddenly sneezes. You feel the sneeze, you feel it as a wave maybe, just with the breath. You, uh, you have a thought that disturbs you for a moment. Just back to the breath. The mind has become uh, so uh, organized around the experience with the object that when other things arise, it's not, it's not so disturbing to it. And then the, the fifth dictionary definition is having a common center. And this is when the mind, from our point of view, is resting in this knowing capacity. Again, object, mind, resting. It's resting. It's, it's the knowing, the knowing of the object is the common center. It's just knowing the object. It's not doing anything else. It's just resting on it. It's just knowing. The object and the mind now have a common center. They've become one. In the years that I studied the martial art of Aikido, 
This was called the blend. When you could take an attacker's energy and not fight it, not run away from it, but blend with it so that you became one with that energy in such a way that you could direct it without having to cause harm to uh, your attacker or yourself that you would become one with. There was a commonality of the energy. Uh, as uh, the, There was only one time that I was ever thrown by someone that was a true master. And it was quite amazing because I was being very sincere in my attacking him. As that would be the way to be respectful of him. And suddenly, he and I were in a river together. And I was just in this river. I wasn't, nobody was doing anything to me at all. I didn't feel any reason to tense up. We were just on this river and I was just moving along this river and suddenly I was flying through the air. <laughs> Again, no objection, no fear. And I landed on a cloud, a cloud of energy. That was the power of being able in the physical realm of movement to find a common center. I was thrown by probably a thousand people and uh, there was nobody else that I, was, that they, the masters didn't usually give me a chance to work with them. I was much more of an aspirant than that. But no one else came close to that. In the same way, when we find a common center with an object, our relationship to that object, it, so in the Vipassana it could be a, a fearful memory, it could be a disappointment. It could be all sorts of things. Our whole relationship to it is different because of this common center, because we're not in reactivity to it. We're just resting in it. And we see this. We see the benefits directly. We'll talk more about that in a moment. In resting in the single object of breath. So the breath for most of us isn't fearful. It may be difficult for some of you. Some of you may have a complicated relationship with the breath. For one reason or another, we're fully aware of that. Even if it's difficult, as you gain this capacity, there is an ease, even in the midst of the difficulty. Maybe you're having a hard time breathing right now for some reason. Or maybe the breath has uh, got a, a certain kind of a trauma uh, tendency to bring up kind of a t- trauma reactivity in you. It becomes this ease as the mind becomes collected and unified with this experience. It finds the common center. It's just resting. It's not doing anything. It's not reacting to the object. It's just resting in the object. This is all felt sense. And that same way of felt sense, that is, we're exploring these topics this evening to stay with your breath, to stay in the body, and then the breath is part of body. So this moment's breath, you hear and receive a thought and you go, hmm, I recognize that, that, I have something in common with that. Oh, I see what that means, or oh, I don't know what that means. It's this breathing awareness that's having a mental activity in relation to the spoken word. But it's this breathing embodied awareness. So likewise, in one sutta, the, there, it, it is said that the mind becomes concentrated, purified, cleansed from impurities. So in the same way, so common, such an overlap with the dictionary definition of this. The Venerable 
uh, Analio, whom I uh, uh, got to teach a retreat with a few months ago, there was, uh, he says that there's three advantages of concentration. So as we develop more concentration, more of this actual experience of concentration, the result, the phenomena of concentration, the mind becomes stable and receptive. That's his first one. The second one is that the, there is an intense pleasure and happiness of a concentrated mind. Again, result, this samadhi, the, the sense of samadhi, it's intensely pleasurable and happiness. And this is one of the ways, we'll mention other ways that we recognize is the stable, receptive mind, this happy mind, this, this uh, sense of pleasure. This is part of how we recognize that there's some degree of stability of, of concentration that's arising. And then the third that the Venerable Nalio describes is an inner stability and integration so that we're able to withstand disturbing effects. That, we, that there's a stability that we're not disturbed, just like I was saying about the sudden sneeze, or even someone brushing you as they're leaving the hall and they hit your body and it just doesn't disturb you. I once um, was uh, practicing at IMS. I was uh, doing walking practice, but I became so concentrated that I just sat down on the little walking porch that they had in those days, which uh, they still had last year. And so I just sat down on this chair and was sitting there for the longest period of time because I was so concentrated. There was nobody home that wanted to move. And uh, I heard someone pacing around me, uh, but it didn't disturb me. I mean, I was aware that there was pacing. And then suddenly there was this sense of pressure and they pulled their blanket out from under me because I was evidently sitting on their blanket. Not any disturbance of the mind. I recognize, oh, I'm sorry that I was sitting on their blanket. On the other hand, you're not supposed to leave your blanket sitting in the chair like that. But I didn't get into any of the, was I right or wrong or any of that. The mind just wasn't interested in that kind of event. It just, it, it just felt this being pulled out and it went right back to its complete calmness. It was not disturbed in that way. So, um, uh, for myself, as, as I notice, one of the things I notice as a result is how protected the mind feels from the hindrances as the mind starts to be more concentrated. Not perfectly protected from the hindrances, but there's already, even as we're just getting into this in the few days, uh, the beginning days, there's a feeling of the mind being protected at times. It's just, oh... I can tell a difference. I know myself in the hindrances, and usually if the hindrance came up like this, I would be more disturbed than this. So just to notice that. So that's one thing. And then also to notice that you can stay, you can stay with the experience in a different way. So that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of restless today, but the, I'm somehow really staying with this breath. Although I'm restless. Or, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, or I'm, whatever it may be. But still, you're able to practice. Where is that coming from? The mind's resting in the experience. Easy to miss that. 
if we're caught in our judging or our mind, oh, you know, I, I, I can't be doing this practice well because my, my mind's so restless. But is that the actual experience? Maybe not. We so have a tendency to get caught in story. We have this view about ourselves, view about our practice. Stay with the actual experience. Here I am being with the breath. I'm being with the breath. Yes, you recognize the restless mind or there's some other feeling going on, but yes, you are being with the breath. This noticing what you're actually doing is reinforcing. It is karmic seeds so that we will be able to be with the breath even more in the future by noticing what's true now. We tend, in my experience at least, to uh, shortchange ourselves, to not sufficiently recognize. We're all pretty good critics of ourselves, uh, but not always so uh, uh, wise or skillful in recognizing modest uh, amounts of momentum to practice. Also, when we are practicing and, it's, and there's, there's some uh, ongoing sense of the practice, there can be a very modest, small sense of well-being that is easily missed. So we want to be alert for any sense of well-being, just a sense of contentment that's coming to the mind. When it gets to be a certain degree of contentment of the mind, you can't miss it if you try, because it's really content. But between there and the initial stages of the mind becoming concentrated, there's a lot that we can miss. Uh, Some of you here in this room that I've uh, worked with through the years, uh, we've had that experience together where you've come into a practice discussion and talked about recognizing, oh, my mind's somewhat concentrated in a way that you're reporting it as a surprise that you hadn't noticed before that this was actually a level of concentration. And then the fourth thing that uh, I notice about this is this sense of balanced mind. The, the mind has a, a certain buoyancy. It feels, uh, it feels able to uh, maintain itself on the object through disturbances. There's a, there's a sense of, of balance in it. And that's, that sense of balance is uh, very satisfying in itself. But again, why would you ever be noticing how well your, your mind is balanced? That's not something we hear about uh, in daily life. So we would not necessarily know, be alert to noticing any sense of balance. So you might notice each of these things, this, the protected feeling of the mind, the ability to stay with, the sense of well-being, the sense of balance in the mind, both all coming as results of just simply practicing, not trying to get results, but simply practicing. Practice, practice, practice. As we've already said many times, and we're going to be saying many more times, both the practice, the samatha, and the result, the samadhi, come about because there is a uh, relaxed mind that is able to become contented. So if there was one thing we would have you do is to have this interest in having attention be relaxed. 
the attention, uh, the, the attention on the object is a relaxed attention. It's not a tense intention. It's not pushing. It's not pulling. Ajahn Suchito says, when the mind is relaxed, concentration naturally arises. And it's really so. And he says further that the, that the spaciousness and the subtle feeling in the mind is one of the joy of embodied presence. So there's an embodied presence when the mind is concentrated in this way. So this idea of relaxed attention that can soften into the experience, uh, put out your left hand, if you will, please. Now, I want you to take your right hand and I want you to, uh, by attention, I want you to squeeze it. So you're paying attention to your left hand with your right hand. But that's, we wouldn't call that relaxed attention, would we? Shake the hands out. Now, don't yield, but press down on the left hand. Don't yield with the left hand. That's pressing into the breath. But that's not relaxed attention. Let that go. Now, uh, touch and move away. Touch and move away. Touch and move away. Touch and move away. That's not a relaxed attention either, is it? See? We all know already. Left hand back out. Now just rest. Let the right hand just softly rest and soften into and notice how much more you can feel of the experience of the left hand. You can feel the palm. You can feel whatever degree of warmth is there, whatever degree of smoothness, roughness. It's much more pleasurable and it's much more intimate that go. And that is what we're doing in being with the breath. We're softening into the experience in a way that's intimate, that's subtle, where more is registering in the experience. Eugene mentioned uh, last night this uh, ongoing debate about our samadhi and sati, our concentration and mindfulness Separate or are they one thing? Is there one practice or two practices? And this can be an interesting reflection if you're sitting around with some Dharma buddies, but it's not very useful to practice. We were talking at dinner tonight, agreeing that this is not a question to be explored on the retreat, but rather to practice the way that we're suggesting, to just show up and be with the breath. It's certainly true that we have to be mindful in order to be with the breath. Otherwise, we won't know if we're with the breath, right? And if we don't have a collected and unified mind, then we can't be mindful. So the, the two fit together. The Venerable Nalio says, the, the function of each, of mindfulness and of concentration, is different, but they overlap by mutual presence. That both are necessary. Both are necessary. Analio also says that the that the that uh, concentration or or this uh, samatha is the enhancement of the reflective function of mind. So when we're focusing on the breath, we're reflecting, we're knowing the breath. It's reflecting the object. The mind is getting filled with the object. It's reflecting the object, and the. Uh, the difference in mindfulness, we're investigating that object. 
So it's not reflecting it as the primary purpose in Vipassana. We're seeing is is the way we're relating to it, causing suffering or not causing suffering. But here it's just feeling it, letting this full reflection, not unlike a still pond on a cloudless night with the full moon in the sky, reflecting that full moon. It's just this reflection, but just filled, filled with the object. Analio says, the development of concentration shifts experience from one of subject and object duality towards one of unity. We become so reflecting as this resting happens that there's just this one experience. Just this one experience. Object being known. Object being known. Not this, over here is this knowing and over here is the object. No. Object being known, breath being known, breath being known. Just take a moment right now, three breaths. Breath being known. Breath being known. that go. Each of us can do this. We make it too hard. We make it conceptual. We, uh, we let all this distraction come in. But in any given moment, we can all do this. Breath being known. In the Anguttara Nikaya, it lists four utilizations of the samadhi, of this phenomena of the concentrated mind. The first it lists is pleasant abiding. And it really is pleasant. Really is pleasant. And a little bit of concentration is already pleasant. And a medium amount is more pleasant. And then really being fully concentrated is really pleasant. It's pleasant abiding. And it's a wholesome pleasure. This is really important. As As a natural state of mind, arising without any grasping. This kind of pleasure, this kind of happiness is wholesome in nature. So the Buddha didn't say that everything that was pleasant is, is dukkha. There are wholesome pleasures. This is one of them. The mind being concentrated on an object without grasping is a wholesome pleasure. The second thing that the uh, Nguta Nikaya says is that, th- that it serves the function of knowledge and vision. So the mind that's, uh, that's concentrated is able to uh, play its part in the arising of insight that provides knowledge and vision of liberation, as Andrea was saying last night as to our purpose of doing this. And then the third thing that lists is mindfulness and alertness. So with the samadhi, there is, when, when the mind's not in deep samadhi, it helps with the mindfulness and the alertness. And then the fourth the benefit it lists is the end of the taints and the fetters. So we recognize our mind when it's got a sense of well-being, when it's got a sense of spaciousness. We're interested in this. We're interested in the feeling sense of it. We're not trying to... Um, 
conquer. It's not a conquering feeling. It's, it's a, a sense of being available for it. I want, there's, for myself, there's three things in particular that I notice as the mind gets more uh, towards a really strong concentration. One is this, this uh, sense that, the, that there is, uh, that the mind can uh, be placed on anything. So just like we placed it on the breath, it, you can place it on anything. And it'll stay there. Once the mind's content, it's, it's, it's content. It's, it's concentrated. So it doesn't, it's not, the mind isn't really object-based. It is concentrated-based. It likes being, it likes having its own uh, sense of itself. It likes being collected and unified. And when it's collected and unified, it's not resistant to being placed on anything. And that's such a nice feeling when you go to the breath and it's just staying there. You may not have that experience in this retreat, or at least think you're not, but if you watch, I would bet every person in here has moments of that. I'm really stressing this tonight. These little moments of this, these little early experiences of it. So this sense of placeableness. The mind also becomes very pliable in my experience. So here's a gnarly memory. A contented mind just goes, oh, okay. It just forms its shape. It just shapes itself right around that difficult memory. It's just content. It doesn't mind the gnarliness of it, and it's so flexible it's so that, it, that, it is, that, it is, that it is pliable. And then the third is the flexibility itself. You can ask it to do vipassana. You can ask it to do concentration. You can ask it to do just about anything to practice loving kindness for that particular object, to practice compassion for that object. It'll, 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 it'll do anything that you ask it to once it's become concentrated in this way. This is why we work to develop this. There is the ordinary mind that has a kind of ordinary concentration, ordinary mind states, which is a, a task uh, or a stimulation dependent. If we really get interested in something like uh, threading a needle, we may have to be really concentrated to thread the needle, or playing a video game, or uh, writing a paper, or uh, playing an instrument, or making love. We can get really concentrated based on the stimulation of the object. The breath is not stimulating that way. We're learning to work with a more neutral object. So that's the ordinary kind of concentration. And the kinds of concentration that we are developing, uh, the big emphasis on this retreat is this neighborhood or access concentration, where the mind gets in a state that is concentrated, independent of the object. It's, it's not this deep absorption concentration, that's the third kind of concentration, third kind of samadhi, but it's this, it's neighborhood concentration. It's concentrated enough. It's good enough concentration that allows these feelings of well-being, the sense of spaciousness, the ability of the mind to stay with. That is uh, when uh, uh, this we first proposed this retreat and uh, uh, Sally and I did the first retreat along with her husband, Guy Armstrong. The, the, the goal was in our community 
to be able to increase across the whole Sangha, across the whole community, the, the ability of, of all the students, all the yogis, all of us, to be able to more easily gain access concentration, to have a feel for what it is, to be able to, to gain access to it more easily, to be able to sustain it longer, and with more stability when we're sustaining it with a deeper intensity. So that was the goal of creating this retreat. The third kind of concentration is the jhanas, or these deep absorption practices. And uh, that will come up for some of you possibly on this retreat. These more deep absorptions will come up. But this is not, this retreat was not created to have people striving for jhana, but rather this neighborhood, this access concentration. And all the talks, again, as Sally was saying last night about we're going to be doing all these different talks on concentration, it's pointing to that. If we are able, any one of us is able to get to this access or neighborhood concentration, then uh, the natural propensities of our mind will lead us deeper as, as is appropriate. Uh, but there's a degree of effort required to uh, get to this access concentration, this what's called neighborhood concentration. Access meaning the mind is stable enough to really do a kind of intense mindfulness practice, vipassana's practice when we turn the other way. So samadhi, this is a big part of our tradition. It's not, it's, it's just like vipassana, it is a big part of our tradition. It is one of the four uh, qualities for practicing mindfulness, one of four. It's also one of the five spiritual faculties showing up in all the key lists. It's also one of the seven factors of awakening. So it shows up everywhere in the Buddhist key teachings. And certainly it's necessary to be able to cultivate that these deep absorptions, these jhanas. And you'll hear about the jhana factors. There are certain factors of mind that help us uh, uh, get to uh, these deep absorptions. And they all come through this gate, this window of neighborhood concentration to get to this deeper state. And then in the Four Noble Truths, the, the, uh, the Fourth Noble Truth is the eightfold path that leads to the end of suffering. And concentration is the eighth of those factors. And it is considered one of the three sections. of It's the samadhi section of right effort, right mindfulness, and right, right concentration. So it is everywhere in this practice. So as you're here on this retreat, you are so benefiting your vipassana practice without ever having to be doing vipassana in the moment. So beneficial to it. So here we are talking about relaxed attention, about relaxed mind, relaxing the mind, relax the mind, relaxed attention. So then why do we talk about effort? It's a little bit uh, paradoxical. And in fact, we don't always require any effort at all. Sometimes concentration arises spontaneously. One morning in a retreat, sitting in that third row in on the left-hand side, the chair on the aisle, I was sitting in a retreat with the Venerable Samedo, and my mind was not particularly uh, concentrated at all, and I wasn't trying to be concentrated. 
But I got to reflecting on how much I valued his practice, how inspirational he was for me. And I was just appreciating him. Now, that particular sit, I wasn't, I wasn't overly enjoying that particular sit or anything, but I was really just in appreciation. And I felt the mind dropping in to this concentration. And I, was, I just watched it. Since I didn't have any momentum, I didn't keep my momentum going. I wasn't doing anything. It was arising out of this contentment of the mind from the appreciation. This is sometimes called gladdening the mind. And it's very powerful for developing concentration because the proximate cause of concentration is happiness, a happy mind. And that's something. Not an efforting mind, but a happy, a contented mind is the proximate cause. My mind got very happy out of appreciation. And it developed a really strong concentration, not just during the sit, but when I actually went down into the dining hall long after everybody else had gone, I was still so concentrated that I had an experience that I've never had since then and never had before. It was really all coming from just the spontaneous arising of this mind. So sometimes it happens like that. You may walk outside and see how beautiful it is, and that brings concentration. You may be thinking about uh, someone or something, and your mind gets concentrated. As you've already got the momentum going in a general way, you don't have a lot of momentum going in this moment, but there's a sense of well-being. You, you, you have gratitude for the cooks and all they're doing, or the managers and what they're doing, or the people taking care of the earth here. Spirit Rock. So you're reflecting on that and you sit down and you just drop in. Be available to that. At the same time, we assume we're going to practice, that we have to practice. So um, for all of us, even some of you may have quite a bit of natural arising of concentration. Even if that's true for you, we still need effort. We need effort in order to gain more access to the to concentration when we want it. We also need it in order to integrate it into the sati practice. And so there's this requirement of what Sally termed the balanced effort. And we do want a balanced effort. Not an over-efforting, not an under-efforting, not a grasping effort, not a disgruntled effort, but a balanced effort. And balance effort certainly requires that we be relaxed. And we do this by clarifying our intention. Our intention is to be available for concentration to arise. We understand it takes a certain amount of energy to stay available. It does. We have to keep returning to the breath. So we're committing, consciously committing energy to be available, but a relaxed energy, relaxed attention that the energy's not tight, it's not narrow in that sense, it's spacious, just resting, just resting in the experience. The felt sense of that is that, oh, I'm available for this. I'm here, I'm being available. There's, a, there's an integrity feeling to the practice in that way. I'm available, I'm available for this. And there's an invitation. You know, may, may concentration arise. 
There's, it's an invitation to, but if you're, it's not a demand. It's not looking, oh, am I getting more concentrated? That's the last thing you want to do. But I'm available, and may it arise. Here I am. It's like, oh, may I enjoy this beautiful day when you're doing the walking practice. That's not a grasping after. It's being available with this invitation of the heart. And then there is a genuine interest in the object. And this is something that we have to remember. This is part of this intentionality, that we wish to have a genuine interest in the object. And this, this uh, coming to have an intimate relationship with the object, uh, to coming to love the object. And the Anapanasati Sutta, they talk about the beautiful breath. The beautiful breath, it's, it's really intimate. We're really appreciative of it. So without changing your body posture, hold your breath for a moment. You're really with the breath as you're doing that. Now release the breath. That's pleasant, huh? Now feel the breath come back in. It's just the regular old breath. But if somebody was repeatedly not allowing you to breathe, and then suddenly you were able to breathe, or if there was an object pressing on your chest in some way you couldn't breathe, or was pneumonia or some other condition that stopped your breath, this beautiful breath, the breath is the gift of life. Being available to that, oh, Breath of life, here and now. So we're available for it. We're interested in the breath. We're inviting of it. We're appreciative of it. And finally, there's a sense of surrendering outcome. The breath is enough. It's like surrendering to being in relationship. This person is enough. Or surrendering to what food we have to eat. This food is enough. Or surrendering to where we live. This is enough. This one breath is enough for this moment. It's a real felt sense of surrender. I really encourage you to explore that for yourself. It's um, that sense of surrender. That's what happened to me with the Venerable Sumedho that morning. Um, my mind wasn't doing particularly well with the particular practice we were doing. And I just surrendered. No objections whatsoever, and went into appreciation. And so it came naturally. You can watch yourself and see if your mind's doing other things and go, oh, I see that. I want to surrender to this very moment, this very moment of an inhale, this very moment of an exhale, here, now. So that surrender has this feeling of resting in breath. You can, at some point during your set, do this thing of your hands. You could squeeze a little or rub a little and then stop that and just hold. Just that felt sense of resting where the intimacy of being able to fill one palm with the other. That's resting. That's surrender. It's a complete experience. We want to watch our attitude as we're doing this practice. Not to judge the attitude, that's not very helpful, but to discern, is it a helpful attitude? So we may notice that, we, that we're practicing with a harshness. Ooh, why are we doing that to ourselves? 
oh, harshness. This is suffering. And let, it, let it go as best you can. Just the breath. No harshness of attitude. It may be a demanding attitude. I've been here three days doing this. And I haven't had one experience of what I thought it was to be. Is that demanding attitude part of being with the breath or is it something extra? Do we really have to hold on to that extra? Is there a choice to let it go? We may be very judgmental of ourselves. I knew you couldn't do this. I just knew it all along. I, I should never have come here. I knew I couldn't do this. That's a judging mind. Is that being with the breath? No. That's being with our, our view about our ability. We're not practicing our view of, about our ability. We're not practicing that. So we just let it go as best we're able. As best we're able. Or we may be comparing ourselves to the person sitting next to us or in front of us that seems so still. And, oh, I know they're just having the best experience with concentration. <laughs> Might be really surprised what that person's experiencing. But no matter what that person's experiencing, that's not being with the breath. That's being with your story about someone. Returning to the actual experience, the actual intention in the here and now, this moment of the breath. Here, this breath, now. Here, this breath, now. Just being with the breath, knowing breath, knowing breath. Over and over, this felt sense. Right now in the room, there's a degree of this just being with the breath present that I can feel in the room. It doesn't belong to any one of us, but it's here in the room underneath. It's part of like a web that we're all sort of helping cultivate. If you're really struggling, you might have a kindness towards yourself or a kindness towards the breath. You might increase curiosity towards the breath. You might be more gentle with the breath. You might have compassion for yourself or compassion for the breath. You might have some quality that will help balance this balanced effort that, again, that Sally established last night. You might have gratitude for the breath. Hold your breath for a moment, then feel it come back. Let that gratitude come in. You might be amused at all of your gyrations. Just have an amusing attitude. Well, here I am doing as best I'm able. And this is what it is. And just relax into the amusement. Amusement can help us relax as in our practice. This here now that I did last night in the practice that I referred to earlier, the here and nowness can bring us to the breath. Here, here, this breath here, now. Now, now. And, dare I say it, you might fall in love with the breath. Become really intimate with it. Really intimate, just fall in love with it. It's the beautiful breath. This breath, this thing, that allows all human beings, you know, so appreciative of all breath, not just my breath, but your breath and your breath and your breath, and you're happy for her breath and his breath and their breath and on. Just fall in love with this breath. And we're getting to experience it immediate, the immediacy of the here and now of knowing this breath 
this gift of life. Certainly we want to beware of our story making. Just let it go when we see it. The story making is not being with the breath. And then also, you might at some point really feel the breath not so much as a physical phenomena anymore, but as an energetic experience. If you start to feel it as an energetic experience, that can heighten your intimacy feeling of the breath, your interest in the breath, your appreciation of the breath. So if it stops being so much an in, out, a rising, falling, or just the air moving, but becomes not just the wind element, but energy, the energy behind the wind element. Go with that experience. Know that, open to it. This open mind that is, uh, that is so relaxed that it can soften into the breath as it's spontaneously being known now. In this way, we come to knowing concentration as a practice, collecting, unifying being the practice, the steadying the breath, and as a result, that there is steadiness, that there is strength, that there is continuity of this breath. In the very act of practicing, we know these little moments of the results. Ah, oh, just being with breath here and now. So close your eyes for a moment. In this very next inhale, is there any degree of sweetness? Stay with the inhale for a moment, please. Any sweetness? Is there any a stimulation that brings interest. Energetic feeling of the breath that brings interest. Or a sense of strength coming into the body in the inhale. Anything that brings interest because of the energy. A little uplifting feeling. Thinking of the uh, resting the one hand in the other. As you rest tension, your right hand resting on the left hand of breath. Is there any intimacy? That intimacy could be known in a thousand ways. From a tingling in the tongue to a sense of stillness underneath the breath to a quietness, to an okay feeling, to a heightened interest that there's, the mind feels a little bright. Now let that go and switch to the exhale. What is your felt sense of the exhale? 
is at ease. Maybe for you there's a little exhilaration in the exhale, a little energetic ping from the exhale. Maybe there's a tingling in the nostrils of the exhale, or warmth in the belly, or a wave of relaxation across the chest, or some calming coming to the mind. What is your most intimate experience just now with the exhale? And now include inhale and exhale. Fully pouring all your attention, connecting to this full experience of inhale and exhale and staying with it. Connecting and sustaining your experience. Evoke the idea of surrendering. All my attention surrendered to this moment of breath. I choose to be available to this knowing of breath. I surrender to it completely. Hello, breath. Smile at breath, just a slight smile. Hello, breath. I invite the knowing of breath. Invite the knowing. Resting in the knowing. Mm. Such contentment. And now, deliberately invite continuity. So that the feeling of the inhale is connected to the feeling of the exhale. In this surrendered way. And then the next inhale is connected to that end of the exhale. Intimate. Beautiful breath. Mind filled, completely reflecting this experience of breath being known. Mm. Breath 
being known. Breath being known. Here, now. Intimate, connected, available, surrendered. This breath, here, now. Whether you choose to sit a little while with this a little more or to do your walking practice, stay with the breath as you continue to sit. Stay with the breath as you get up. If you lose the contact as you're standing up, reconnect once you're standing. 